Welcome to the Daily Standard Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. It is August 20th, 2018. Uh, Special thanks to Jim Swift for filling in for me last week. I just had a horrendous travel schedule. Um, I didn't miss anything, guys, did I? I mean, I think not, nothing I, actually happened. I, I, you know, I was traveling, uh, so you know, I was sort of clued, you know, checked out. So I don't think anything happened last. I week. don't. I don't think so. It's summer. Uh, it's August. I, I should. I should, however, remember to introduce you guys, uh, fellow <laughs> cheesehead John McCormick and uh, and Michael Warren. I'm glad to uh, glad to talk with you this morning, Michael. Uh, you have a piece up on the Weekly Standard website explaining the president of the United States. Uh, latest weekend tweet storm. I suppose we could make this a Monday morning feature, right? You start off every podcast. So uh, could we talk about what the president tweeted over the weekend? But this was this was an epic tweet storm, even by uh, Trumpian tweet storm standards. Yeah. And I suppose it's kind of a fool's errand, right, to try to c- explain uh, Trump's tweets all the time because so but many- give it a shot. Uh, you know what? I'll give it the old college try. Yeah, give so, it a shot. So the, the context in all this, Charlie, is the New York Times over the weekend uh, reported a story that when I read it, I, I was thinking, what what's going on here? What, what why, why are we seeing another story like this? It was a, uh, it was a big piece about Don McGahn, who's the White House mm-hmm. counsel, um, about the level of cooperation that he's had with Mueller and the special counsel investigators. And we 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 kind of already knew that he was cooperating. We'd known this for months. Um, the, the bits that we did learn was that uh, were, were that 30 hours uh, of time that uh, McGahn has spent with Mueller and his investigators. That's a lot. Um, that, that they've met at least three times. Um, and we got insight, and I think this is, indicates that we're getting this story from McGahn, or, or rather from McGahn's uh, legal team, uh, that uh, into – Sources close to McGahn. Exactly. Um, into yeah. McGahn's kind of legal thinking, right, that this was um, – that, that this is his attempt to kind of put distance between himself and the president in any potential obstruction of justice uh, charges that might be that might be coming, that he was sort of getting out there and saying – um, uh, that, uh, look, I'm cooperating with Mueller, um, in, in a kind of, to, to, uh, to avoid legal exposure or to uh, sort of negate my legal yeah. exposure. So, so I don't become John Dean. I, I'm not, I'm not the guy who, uh, you know, ends up being thrown under the bus. Right. Although, um, that's kind of exactly what Donald Trump read in the piece was right. that is that uh, uh, that the implication is that uh, McGahn is setting himself up to be or already is a John Dean, and so so Trump replies to this first saying that well I gave everybody in the White House staff uh, a license to talk to Mueller because I have nothing to hide, um, and then he sort of went on a um, tweet storm on Sunday morning the day after the piece was published uh, saying that. Um, that uh, the fake news uh, failing New York Times is all fake story. Of course, he gave he told Don McGahn to do this, and um, uh, and uh, because he had nothing to hide, of course, and uh, and he's not a rat like John Dean was in Watergate. Um, interesting, interesting that he describes right. John Dean as a rat. Yeah, right. I mean, so Dean, uh, of course, I mean, Dean's not exactly like the most admirable person in American hi- uh, mm-hmm. political history. I mean, the guy was sort of helping to cover up while working for the fa- or for the for the investigation, the committee that was investigating. But um, right, and, and that he that he kind of goes to that sort of mob mentality that 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 uh, it had the effect really of pulling McGahn closer to Trump, or or at least Trump is trying to do that, which is kind of the opposite of what. McGahn was doing, which was pushing Trump away. So um, I don't know really how to interpret it, except it seems that Trump is 
Trump seems to be worried about something as he as he always is. When well, this this is the thing with 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 Trump and, uh, you know, w- whether or not, first of all, he, he knew what he was doing legally when he told his counsel. He appears to be very when he told his counsel to cooperate. He seems to be somewhat vague on what the role of the White House counsel is, that the White House counsel is not his personal lawyer. It's not his personal Roy Cohn. The White House counsel actually represents the public, the institution of the White House. So that's number one. But also, you know, by going on these rants, and and this is, I know we're now we're trending toward absurdity here, but uh, you know, by you know going on these rants about people like uh, like McGahn or uh, about Omarosa, it inevitably leads you to wonder, okay, what is he worried about? I, I as I said last week, I, I I don't think that Omarosa is a credible uh, you know, witness in any way whatsoever, and yet the White House's rather hysterical response does make you wonder, okay, um, why are they taking this so seriously? And that seemed to be the same scenario over the weekend about uh, Don McGahn. Right. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I had the same reaction to the story when I first read it. I thought, okay, we kind of knew this. And then as I, you read the details, you go, oh, my goodness. The fact that you're reading the story is, oh, my goodness. The fact that there was 30 hours of conversation, 30 hours. I mean, have you spent 30 hours talking to your wife in the last year? <laughs> I mean, 30 hours no consecutively? Uh, no, well, look, I mean, and this is, this is the question. So – we're all sort of um, taking the New York Times's uh, interpretation of all this, that there is an obstruction of justice investigation, that that's kind of what uh, uh, what Mueller is going after. Um, but 30 hours is a long time. And we, what we don't know and what Trump doesn't know, and maybe Trump knows that he doesn't know this, is what else they talked about. Um, yeah. McGahn is – the White House counsel, he is in every important conversation from day one uh, that has anything to do with legal implications. Then that means the Flynn, the firing of Mike Flynn. That means the firing of uh, Jim Comey. Um, that means a lot of conversations. Uh, and, and we know that Trump is somebody who sort of uh, says what's on his mind. Uh, what he says in public, the way he is in public is kind of the way he is in private. Um, and and so there are, I think, I think. For Trump, he's got to be going. Um, what could possibly? I've got to. I've got to pull McGahn back toward me, um, or you know, sort of dangle that up op- that opportunity that you know, um, uh, he's he's my guy because who knows who knows what he told. I, I I don't get the though the idea that if Trump didn't do anything, if really it is true that um, there is nothing there and he has nothing to hide, why? This this sort of ranting, um, unless it's just impulse by 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 Trump, he can't help it but to sort of rant in, in his defense and, and go against people who who hate him. But it doesn't make any sense as yeah, a strategy. Yeah. And of course, he's 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 continuing to uh, ramp up his uh, attacks on Robert Mueller. There was a long period of time where he he attacked things around the edges, but never went after Mueller himself. And now he's describing it as what disgraced and discredited. Um, and of course, uh, Mueller's team does not uh, does not respond to all of this. But uh, it, you you do it. I mean, it's I mean, guys, this. You know what's interesting is that right now we are not sitting discussing Brett Kavanaugh and the and the seat on the U.S. Supreme Court. Remember, that was going to be the issue that was going to consume America. But Donald Trump has managed to make his conduct and this investigation so radioactive you can't talk about really anything else. Now, over the weekend, I, I want to explain. I mean, I, 
I, I think this is a this is a solid investigation. I feel that they're closing in on some major information, whatever happens with Manafort. I mean, if you're the president of the United States right now, your personal lawyer, Michael Cohn, has clearly flipped and is prepared to, uh, to you know, who knows how far he's going to go. Um, your White House counsel is also now cooperating. Some of the people that you had implicitly trusted, people within the inner circle, you know, are now you know, dropping tapes and maybe videotapes and all of this stuff. So you can understand how he would be paranoid about all of this. You know, so you, you have all of this going. But I was actually uh, on the on Bill Maher's show, and, and he was demanding that members of the panel, um, you know, declare that what Robert Mueller is going to discover is treason. And Jonathan Swan from Axios and I were on it. It was like, wait, could we just not – could we dial down the hysteria level from 11 – you know, every single thing. I mean that's where in this moment where every single thing is dialed up to 11 or 12 without waiting for the actual evidence. You know, first of all, you know, treason is a very specific thing. It's, it, it's over the top. And I do think some of the critics weaken themselves by going there before we have the whole story – and when you have the whole story, if you're already at the T word, where do you go? I mean, if, if, if you're already dialed up to 12, where do you go? I do think that this is a moment where, and of course, nobody's going to pay attention to anything we say about this. I mean, American needs to take a deep breath. Just step back. Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we 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 have to we have to talk about something. Um, but yeah. but I, I I am exa- I, I think most people are just exhausted, you know, following each and every strand here, and it, and it does at bottom mostly amount to speculation. You know, I I think yeah. that Mueller should take his time and do the job well. Mm-hmm. It's more important that he that he gets it that he gets it right than he gets it done fast. But I mean, I just I just wish we had it all out there. I mean, as soon as uh, you know, it's funny it's, you said that uh, how exhausting it is because uh, I've, I've had that conversation over and over with people that they're just they're just ground down. And I actually felt that way watching Rudy Giuliani again. I mean, Rudy Giuliani with his uh, gaslight tour uh, <laughs> on on Meet the Press yesterday saying truth is not truth, which you're tempted to say, OK, he didn't really mean to say that. That's taken out of context. But I think Steve Hayes is absolutely right. It's actually worse than it sounds. And, I mean, and Ru- Rudy Giuliani continues to be out there and the team you know, the, the the team is just throwing up so much dust. That's in some ways that's exhausting. This we live in a world where there is there are no facts. There's no knowable well, there are, truth. There are and even alternative facts. Although I do think that truth isn't truth will probably uh, <laughs> supersede. Su- supersede that as in the in the Trump administration's uh, unofficial motto. So yeah, I mean, it's already I, on T-shirts, right? I mean, I, I got to get the T-shirt. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, truth, it, truth is not truth. He actually said those words. Yeah, so I mean, you know, the, the best case defense of what he meant to say is something like, I mean, what Andy McCarthy, National Review has a has a defense of the whole idea of a perjury trap. You know, someone who really does try and go in there in good faith and tell the truth, they can end up, you know, being charged with perjury. Um, but obviously, I mean, the problem here, as as Steve points out in his piece today, it's that the. Trump administration, Trump himself, they, they lie. They lie repeatedly. And Giuliani himself told a bald-faced lie saying that, what, the, the Russian lawyer uh, at the Trump Tower meeting, oh, she just, you know, someone with a Russian name was coming to meet them. They had no idea she had any connection to the Russian government. When in the email that Trump himself, Trump Jr. released, said, you know, this is on behalf of the Russian government and support 
for President, you know, candidate Trump's campaign. So yeah, it, I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty galling. Well, yeah, Charlie, can but, I can I go back to something real quick? You you mentioned please. about uh, dialing the way that Trump's critics dial this up to treason. Um, I'm reminded of something our colleague Andy Ferguson has said about sort of conservatives during the Bill Clinton era, which um, uh, there was this kind of – I mean it was sort of a cottage industry of how how insane could you uh, – uh, could could your theory about what the Clintons have really done, you know? I mean whether it was the sort of – you know, uh, Vince Foster was murdered and all that. There was always like murders is sort of like what it, what it uh, right. dialed up to. And as Andy points out, like – isn't the like corruption of Bill and Hillary Clinton enough? Um, isn't isn't the right. fact that they sort of misuse their office and they're 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 power hung, they're power hungry and they want to use their positions of power after the White House to make money and all these other things like all the things that we actually have proof of uh, that was demonstrated um, that was that was reasonable um, to 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 anybody looking at the facts. Isn't that enough? Why does it have to get dialed up to uh, the Clintons are trying to murder now, people? Now, now, this is a really interesting point, and maybe it's a sign of sort of the flattening of our moral universe that that money laundering and corruption and all of that stuff isn't enough. You have to be Hitler or you have to have murdered somebody. We get <laughs> right. – we understand that. Everything else is like, oh, it's come on. Everybody does that. You know, uh, Hillary's emails. And and so that, that that's why maybe we dial it up to 12 because we we have these these, you know, just – you know, raw cartoon images of this is evil and this is not evil. And there's a universal understanding that if you're Mussolini, you're evil. But short of that, eh, who knows? You know, he made the trains run on time. You know. He did make the trains run on time. Have we looked at his Supreme Court nominees? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, 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 and let's Bruce Orr. Or yeah, yeah, and, I'm, and I'm who sorry. was the alternative like, in Italy? <laughs> who was the alternative? Uh, all right, so let's talk about there's actually an election going on, believe it or not. Um, and by the way, in, in an alternative universe, you know, we'd be another thing we'd be talking about today, uh, because I was off last week is, um, Elizabeth Warren's absolutely just bizarre attack on corporate America. Not that corporate America doesn't deserve to, you know, be be pinched and poked, uh, quite a bit, but you know, you, you have leading Democrats who are saying things that are really extraordinary. And these are not gaffes. These are not, uh, you know, out of out of context uh, YouTube videos. This is the considered public policy proposal by one of the leading progressives in America that essentially, and, and I know this is overstating it, but, you know, um, now, and maybe I shouldn't say nationalizes, but certainly uh, dramatically expands government control over the private sector. And yet that's almost like a you know, it, you know, Kevin Williamson did a great piece about it, but it, but it's almost like an afterthought. No, it, it, it's look. This is the sort of untold story, the undercovered story of the Trump era, which is the the really leftward pull. Um, that the Democratic Party is being is being taken to. I mean, you could see it in the beginning of uh, uh, the 2016 primary season with the way Bernie Sanders really took off, and and of course Elizabeth Warren has been kind of a rock star on this um, for Democrats for for a few years. Um, but it's 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 really happening. It's really fast. I was in. Um, California last week uh, for for reporting on a couple of stories that I'm writing, and it's pretty incredible um, talking to people around the state, Democrats and, and Republicans, both of sort of how um, that state, which is seen as kind of the vanguard of where America will be in 10, 10 and 15 years, as they always say in California, um, just how far left the Democratic Party there, I mean, and they're sort of in, in full control. And I think this is something that um, – 
the the you know the the uh, under uh, undercovered part of the whole Trump era is that it's given license um, to the to to the left to sort of really push the envelope. And yeah, idea, ideas that were not anywhere close to the mainstream. We're not even sort of you know bubbling out there. And the, you're right. You're, you're right. I mean, they, this is this is this has happened fast, and uh, and 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 they're moving hard. Yeah, I think you know one interesting question is what exactly. I mean, question I'll be interested for Mike to answer in his piece is what exactly stops you know a, a you know a one party state where Democrats are in complete control. And one one of the things is you know simple arithmetic yes. where you know they they looked at single payer in California and found out that what it would cost four hundred billion dollars annually when the entire state budget is two hundred billion. So literally a doubling. Uh, of the state budget to get single payer healthcare. So, I mean, I think that this is uh, potentially something that we want to uh, know for you know, 2021 or 2025 or whenever, uh, you know, Democrats might have complete right. control and what exactly is going to constrain them, um, you know, the courts po- possibly, uh, you know, in math. The courts and, and math and, and, and budgets, right? I mean, this is so uh, just to give you a sort of a preview of sort of what I covered and, and, and was interested in um, is is uh, Jerry Brown, the current, you know, Governor Moonbeam, who's actually somewhat like a lot of those kind of um, Watergate era Democrats is actually very budget conscious and uh, has made this big push in California. He's, he's, he's pushed back against the kind of left wing of the Democratic Party in the assembly there um, that has, re- or the Senate in, in, in California's case, that has really pushed to whether it's universal mm-hmm. health care or some of these other kind of pet projects of liberals because they don't have the money. And now actually, you know, I mean, California is, is pretty flush with cash right now. They got a lot of, I don't, I don't know if you know this, Charlie, but there are a lot of rich people in California, um, there's these little. Oh you know, man, you know what? I was in Beverly Hills on Friday, <laughs> and everybody in Beverly Hills has a nicer car than I do. Yeah, exactly. Actually, hey. no, 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 I'm sorry. Everybody in Beverly Hills has a nicer car than I will ever have. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, but oh, hey, go up to this uh, this little place called Silicon Valley. There's a couple of companies mm-hmm. um, there that that seem to be Good doing that. okay. Um, but the fear is that uh, is that the money runs out, right? Especially if there's a recession. Especially if um, something you know where where you you have you know the money's the the spigot turned off, and I think that's what constrains mm. a lot of these things. But when when I mean in an ironic way, uh, the Trump economy is actually doing pretty well, and that gives these blue states a lot of license to um, to dabble in in, in some uh, yeah, really what, what could possibly ideas. go wrong. George, George so John, let, 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 I'm going to go talk mm-hmm. about uh, some some of these primary elections uh, that we've had uh, for Senate and and for governor. We had a couple of uh, int- very interesting elections. I thought last week. Uh, let's start with uh, though um, the the next more most entertaining primary down in Arizona where. Kelly Ward um, is uh, has come up with a new uh, tactic uh, or, or a new strategy, whatever. She's going on a what a bus tour with uh, uh, conspiracy blogger Michael Cernovich. Give me your take on that. You know, I think that the broader picture is that the real, you know, Trumpists, the real, I don't know, uh, pejoratively wacko birds, you know, they're they're failing. I mean, the just think back, what, about a year ago, Roy Moore wins the Alabama primary over, you know, Luther Strange, even though Trump is backing Luther Strange. You have people like Steve Bannon saying, you know, we're going to have this movement. We're going to sweep across the nation. We're going to, you know, Kelly Ward in Arizona, Roy Moore in Alabama. I think the Roy Moore loss really was key where, you know, voters did learn from examples 
example when you know someone you nominate someone even too crazy for Alabama. Obviously, the whole you know uh, scandal there, uh, you know, accusations of um, you know going after minors uh, sexually uh, that, that sunk him. But so, the, so there was a limit. Yeah, yeah there was a limit. But I mean, at the same time, so I mean, what Kelly Ward is down now twenty points in Arizona. Uh, Don Blankenship lost in West Virginia. It looks mm-hmm. like Chris McDaniel in Mississippi isn't doing too well. Uh, last week, you know, people were saying you know that uh, well, Tim Pawlenty lost because he wasn't Trumpy enough. That I don't know. I mean, I didn't follow that too closely, but it seemed to me to be overstated. Uh, I was uh, asked for an interview if if Pawlenty had any events uh, going on the last two weeks, uh, last two weekends of June, and his campaign didn't have anything. I don't think. I mean, they didn't respond to me. Really? Uh, I mean, that's 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 a lesson to other candidates out there. If you turn down my interview request, you're going to lose. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, so, I mean, what, this guy went to go work for the, the, you know, the literally for wall street as the, at the financial services round table or whatever he was, you know, making, I don't know what, a million dollars a year or more. Um, so yeah, I mean, what, I mean, in, in Wisconsin, what, Vukmir versus, uh, Nicholson, Nicholson. They, they, I mean, Nicholson, obviously, you know, he took the Bannon endorsement and Vukmir got the Ryan Priebus endorsement. They weren't too different on the issues at all. Um, but you know, what Vukmir came out ahead, what she won by six, seven points. Uh, so, you know, that's another win for the quote unquote establishment, even if, um, they didn't. So, I mean, but you have to ask how well, has no, that, it, and that, that yeah. played out here, mm-hmm. I think pretty much exactly the way one would have expected if, if the status quo was intact that, you know, you run up a big margin in southeast Wisconsin. You have uh, you have the Republican uh, endorsement, the official Republican endorsement. You have the Republican infrastructure. Um, yeah, Nicholson had eleven million dollars from uh, one of the the new oligarchs, uh, Richard Eline or Uline. Um, but you know, really, it, it it did it did play out the way primaries played out, say in in twenty ten. Yeah, and so what what Vukmir and McSally have have basically shown is that you know the establishment is winning by accommodating Trump and just saying, hey, I support the president's policies and being basically silent, you know, on all the bad things that he's done. You know, don't don't criticize him at all. So there is a price to pay for that. It's not like the 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 GOP conservative establishment is standing athwart Trump, but it does it does just get to the point that Trumpism is more of a cult of personality. It's more about partisanship, tribalism than any sort of you know ideological uh, ideological program Bannonite uh, nationalism yeah but Kelly Kelly Ward apparently is, is is still going for the wacko bird vote yeah I mean I, I don't know what you guys are talking about she's down 20 points <laughs> the only way she can she can reassert herself in this race is to go on a bus tour with a crazy uh, alt-right uh, blogger who sells like uh, dietary supplements to help you like uh, have sex with women more uh, uh, well the reason I mean the reason she the reason she's down 20 is because the wacko bird vote is being split between Joe Arpaio and uh, Kelly Ward I mean if Arpaio weren't in the race wouldn't every single Arpaio voter? I guess so. I mean, the only way I see this thing tightening would be if Arpaio just dropped out tomorrow and endorsed Kelly Ward. I don't see that happening. I mean, there's what, there's eight days left until the election. Um, But it looks like McSally, if that latest poll is to be believed, is up 20 points. So that's a pretty Well, and this is interesting because this is the way that the sort of wacko birds have won in the past is you've had had splits on the other side. Sort of the establishment candidates have sometimes split, you know, two – Two different ways, uh, and then and then the the, the, the wacko bird uh, 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 candidate or the, the the Todd Aiken, for instance, you know, sort of swoops in and and, and takes over. Yeah, the Sharon Angle. Sharon Angle is a perfect example um, of that as well. Yeah. Who 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 is the uh, Christine O'Donnell? 
I, mm-hmm. I, I still have like flashbacks to those folks. Let's go back to Palenti, though. Um, Palenti afterwards uh, gave uh, an interview where he, where he basically said that he was never that comfortable with ethno-nationalism and that there was a point at which he didn't want to sell his soul more. You're suggesting, though, that uh, that that perhaps there were other factors there, including a, you know, a... Not, not, not much of a campaign. Did yeah, I mean, you just think he was going to be a coronation? I mean, if you don't have events last week in June, that's a big tell for me. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't campaigning. He uh, he used to work. He literally went to go work for Wall Street. And, and his, his opponent called Trump a jackass. So it was yeah. Paul Enti, you know, saying things about Trump being unfit that a lot of people had said. And pretty much what it's shown, what voters have shown is if you can, you know, you can, if you get on the Trump train now, all is sort of forgiven. There have been a lot of people who have criticized Trump in the past and went on to win big. I mean, Dan Crenshaw in Texas, this was a, uh, you know, this is a House primary back in what, March or the, the runoff was in, in May or something, right. something like that. But he had said stuff like, you know, you know, Trump is what, I mean, his insanely hateful rhetoric, you know, on one hand, you've got crazy liberals and on the other hand, you've got crazy people like Donald Trump. He said this all in 2015, basically walked it back. I mean, when I interviewed him, he said, you know, we've got to support the Trump agenda. You know, he doesn't necessarily appeal to young people. We've got to bring back that Reagan optimism. So very muted criticism now uh, doesn't really talk in terms of he did back then, but it just goes to show you that this, the idea that simply criticizing Trump in the past is not, it's not something that's going to kill you necessarily in a primary. But going forward, it is complicated. So here in the state of Wisconsin, we have you know a very very tough race. Uh, Scott Walker is uh, is going is will be down in the polls, uh, even though I think there's a somewhat lackluster Democratic candidate. And of course, Leah Vukmir is up against uh, Timmy Baldwin. I assume that Timmy Baldwin uh, will will be ahead. But um, there the the Republicans are are struggling mightily to deal with some of the things that Trump has dropped, including, you know, calling for a boycott of Harley Davidson. I mean, that's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, the, the the tariffs do not play well here in Wisconsin, but then you go after um, a, an iconic company. I mean, Harley Davidson is not just nationally iconic. I mean, it is a very, <laughs> it is a quintessentially Wisconsin company. And to watch Walker and the other Republicans try to, you know, square the circle on all of that is, uh, it, 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 it's awkward. Yeah, I asked Vukmir and Nicholson about that specifically mm-hmm. i said you know any anything to say about harley davidson they dodged it completely you know the as you said you know republicans or uh, voters statewide i believe in the latest marquette poll they opposed the trump tariffs by a two-to-one margin but neither nicholson nor vukmir wanted to get on uh, trump's bad side so they said oh we support this, this is just a negotiating tra- tactic to get some some world where there's no no tariffs at all and complete free trade and i think so walker originally back in march or april he was pretty strong and emphatic opposing uh the steel and aluminum tariffs and it seems now he's kind of Charlie, correct me if I'm wrong. Has he moved in the direction of sort of buying this whole? Oh, this is just a negotiating tactic to yeah, get to. That, Has he moved? Is that right? Well, you know, it's it, it's hard to say because you know I think he's trying doing that thing. He's dancing on the line where you know he's basically saying you know he doesn't like tariffs, but maybe let's see how this plays out. All of that, you know, you find a formula where you know the 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 one thing that he seemed to be focused on is just you don't want a negative tweet. Well, Which look, is, it, look. If if it's good enough for actual members of the Trump administration <laughs> to say, "Oh, it's just a negotiating tactic," then then it ought to be good enough for a uh, elected official, I guess. All right. What else should we be paying attention to here? So, so since we're, you know, I've I've been off for a week. I feel like this is the this is the week we reengage with the universe. We're not even we're not even at Labor Day, but what should we be? Can you give me something that you guys are working on or that you know that I don't know, uh, college, which, which should be a lot. College football starts uh, oh, in just God. a few days um, and then and then the NFL. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe we can just all – can we just spend our Saturdays and Sundays, you know, just drinking our favorite adult beverage, watching some football on TV? That, like that's, yeah. what I, that's what I'm looking for. Blue laws, but for Twitter. 
Yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Just ban the Twitter and the internet, except for for sports related stuff for the next. This is the worst thing that I think I'm, of all the worst things, um, and I put an asterisk by it because there's always something that will come up. But you know, <laughs> football has always been that little oasis where you know it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, you just you can just like step out of the world and feel passionately about it. You know. Um, without being political and, and, and the way that, that the NFL was politicized, I just, I don't want to do it. I just, I don't want to go there. Charlie, that's why it's time to embrace college football. I know, you know, the Wisconsin Badgers, like, you know, yeah. or, you know, um, the, it's not, they're not an SEC level team. No, they're, but not Van, they're no Vanderbilt. Yeah. Well, you, you know, know, we we have a, we have a tough schedule. No it's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, like the best college football uh, teams, but that's, you know, that that's where the refuge should be. Actually, I actually think college football is a terrific sport and it's so much fun. And none of the political stuff that has permeated the NFL, um, even you yeah. know, even even the other stuff like the sort famous of famous last words. I Give know, it a is, minute. Exactly, exactly. I, you uh, know, I'm holding on. I, I hope is making a comeback here. You know what I need? I really do need guys. I I, I I need to get into a binge watch series. I am between binge watch series. I've 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 finished you know you know Homeland. I've finished Billionaire. I finished like you know throw th- throw me something here. I binge watched uh, the Americans. Pretty good. Yeah, Not I did great, too. Yeah, done with that. Sorry. Uh, well, I've two young kids, and my wife and I have spent the last uh, two and a half years trying to make it through the this this show that you made it out of heard of called The Sopranos. Um, oh. And so we are. Uh, so I basically have nothing to tell you, Charlie. If, if I, we're we're not even done with The Sopranos yet, that's how. That's how little TV I get to you watch. You know, the, 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 pro- the problem is that if you're not in, in a in a binge-watching series and you just watch like a, a movie, 90% of movies just suck. That's totally they're, 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 true. They're just How about Better because- Call Saul? Hmm? Better, I do like Better, better Call Saul. Okay, yes, I better love call Better Saul. Call Saul. When, when does the new show. season start? It's uh, just started. You're two, oh, are you you're kidding two, me? I believe the episode three is on tonight. This is what I, I asked this <laughs> because this is this is what I was waiting for. this is for the content because, the people want, This is finally some news you can use, finally. Well, you know, I mean, I've been minutes. flying around and watching movies on on you know, on airplanes and going, "What the hell's wrong with movies?" It's a, and I think it's because they just seem most of them seem so pale compared right. to a you know the the good writing, the characters, the plot twists, the the engagement that you get with uh, with, with some of these longer series. But you know, you, you know, I mean, unless, unless you want to watch stuff where it blows up or you know giant robots from outer space or something like that it's, i did i saw the mission impossible movie in the theater oh, is that I, good? I highly recommend it just for, i mean that's really the only thing only reason to go to a theater these days i think is the spectacle part which is like people right. people dismiss that but like like seeing big explosions or like fast car chases and stuff on a big screen, like yeah. Yeah. that's that's with, that's entertaining, and I you know I don't care. With a really know. great sound system. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. With like the Dolby, that like where your seat shakes. Yeah. So, but you also have to take out a second mortgage to 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 go see those. So no, that's that that is true. What is it? I I had my grandkids in town and you know was watched uh, the Incre- Incredibles. Have you seen Incredibles two? I have not seen the Incredibles two. Can I actually? And I know we're like yeah. going way off topic here, but I, there's a, no. something I've been I've been really annoyed by which is that and and I think this is like some economics of Hollywood or something there are no G-rated movies. The Incredibles two is rated PG, and I got like my 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 son is not yet four, um, uh, my older son. So like like taking him to a PG movie is like a huge risk. And and oh and absolutely. There are, and when I was growing up, there were there were kids movies like all the time. There was uh, Disney cartoons and Muppets and all this stuff. And now it's it's like it's like a wa- it, it is a wasteland. You cannot find a G-rated movie in the theaters all summer. In Crazy. the theaters, but of course, if you you know have streaming television, there. Uh, are options out yeah. there. Uh, we can watch you know? the Transformers Rescue Bots or the uh, <laughs> Paw Patrol again for the millionth time. Yeah, that sounds well, great. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I, this has always been one. I think Michael Medved wrote about this like 20 years ago, which, you know, at, at a time when every G-rated movie that came out was making tons of money. This, of course, was before everybody could stream anything yes. on, on online. And he said, well, why is Hollywood, if, if Hollywood, if the defense for everything Hollywood does is, well, they do it to make money. Why are they not making more G-movies? Because the, the G-rated movies were, were doing so well. It was an interesting, it was an interesting point. Speaking of bad parenting moments, and you guys are, you know, have young kids so I'm, i want to warn you on this okay my worst parenting moment and it really stands out was uh when my sons were i they, you know I, I think they were pre-high school but they were you know maybe you know 11 or 12 and my daughter said hey let's let's all let's have a family movie night let's watch team america <laughs> <laughs> and 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 I said, well, is would it, you know, is it going to be okay? And she goes, yeah, it's it's, it's you know puppets and it's everything. Puppets. And and, I, and my and my famous last words were, oh, how bad could it be? They're puppets. <laughs> <laughs> and about, okay, have you seen this movie? Don't see this movie with your children. So you're saying I should not screen <laughs> Team America this Friday for my for my four year old. No, and okay, and okay. There's there's a moment where it's going. Oh, I've be, seen be, I've seen it a million times. It's, I, it's puppets. How bad could it be? There's one moment where I just looked at my daughter and I said, "Oh, just <laughs> I this is like the worst ever." <laughs> but that's why old guys like me are around to give guys like you this advice. Thank you Don't very do much. it. Thank you, thank you, Charlie. <laughs> All right, but better Saul call. Better call Saul. This is this is big news. I appreciate this very much, gentlemen. Thank you for for joining me on this uh, Monday morning, and thank you for listening to the Daily Standard podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll have a special edition. We'll be joined by Greg Easterbrook. <laughs>